Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I would start this off the same. I don't know. What, what do I know? Anyhow, I'm getting ready to go play golf, if you can't tell. It's a nice day. We got rained out earlier this morning, got home my old partner, Bobby Arnold, and he lives not too far from me, and there's a golf course real close to his house, about five minutes from his house or less, and, and we're going to meet up on the range. Looks like the rain's about over. We were, like I said, we were rained out earlier today, and looks like the rain's about over, run up, hit some balls, and maybe get nine in later this afternoon. But first thing, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. I just did this story with um, Camulus Robinson and our, our good friend and well, <laughs> this guy, Cam Robinson knows his stuff in Chicago. I have to study and make notes. He's already studied. He's already made notes. He's got this book coming out, interview with Frank Calabrese's uh, senior junior's ex-wife, uh, Lisa Swan, I think's her name, married to the mob. It, it's not been released yet, but but look for it pretty soon, and I'll I'll have her on here pretty soon. I just talked to him about getting her on, and then uh, as a little teaser, and then when the book's acting and they actually release it, because Cam has been so much help to me, I, and and he's a co-author on that book. He's a guy that really wrote it. He's one of those guys that can write. And, and uh, and so people have experiences. So if any of you mobsters out there want to tell your story, why well, uh, get hold of me and I'll connect you up with Camulus Cam Robinson. He's a good guy. But you know, we just did that story on Dorfman and some stuff from the wiretaps and 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 maybe why he was murdered. But I happen to have uh, Mike Halliday sent me the uh, entire case file with all the pictures and everything. Uh, of Alan Dorfman, of the murder of Alan Dorfman. You know, he was uh, he was out to lunch with Irv Weiner, or Viner. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Who was a another? Uh, you know, he was a bail bondsman, had an American bonding company, and uh, I think Red Wilmette knows a lot about this guy because he was connected up with that American bonding in some manner. And they were supposedly out to lunch, and and Weiner had he had been. I we talk Cam and I talk about this. He had been in business with Dorfman and other people with Teamsters money, and they had killed that uh, guy that they uh, had uh, financed in that fiberglass business, and they're afraid he was going to testify about this Teamsters connection. And they and Lombardo and probably Frank the German Swiss killed Danny Seifert. Uh, that all kind of came out in the Family Secrets trial. But we're gonna—I have this case file, so I'm just going to go over this. Uh, the Lincolnwood Police Department's investigation, you know, I've got the uh, general offense case report, homicide, 4500 Tui Avenue, victim uh, Dorfman Allen. He was uh, born January 1st, 1923. They list him as an insurance exec. At 4500 Tui, I would say that was a business address. The uh, getaway car was a Dodge sedan, dark blue or, or green, or not sure. Uh, it was a gun. So I uh, got here, reporting officer responded to an ambulance call. A lot of times these things will come out as an ambulance call. Somebody will call in all distraught and upset. They, get, uh, they find out there's somebody on the ground with blood around them. They'll dispatch an ambulance also. Dispatched to 4500 Tui, uh, upon arrival, they found the victim lying between two parked autos in the east parking lot in a pool of blood. Reporting officer examined the victim and found injury to his head. 
Lincolnwood paramedics examined the victim and the investigation at the scene revealed that the victim had been shot by the unknown offenders who fled the scene in this dark blue or green Dodge. They're pretty sure it was Dodge. Victim was transported to Skokie Valley Hospital where he's pronounced dead by Dr. John Caliendo. 1338 hours and you know right after he got there he was dead at the scene they knew he was dead at the scene that's why there's pictures out there john binder the john binder collection uh has pictures of his body i think of his body laying there and, and at the hospital and kind of grisly pictures of that i didn't try to get those uh and we go into the investigation uh sergeant dorsch and investigator berg olson interviewed somebody don't say who he reported that he observed an incident thursday morning january 20th 1983 at approximately 800 or 830 hours which might have something to do with the dorfman case he said he pulled into brown's chicken restaurant located on the southeast corner of oakton and crawford in skokie to check his directions to a sales customer this guy was a salesman out on his route or whatever and he's going to contact a customer and while he was in the lot he had saw two autos parked side by side the occupants of what he described as a green full-size dodge were standing at the driver's side of a brown cadillac coupe talking to the driver he stated he noted that the plate on the green dodge because it started with gom and he plays Dungeons and Dragons, and a GOM, a GOM, is a type of a character. Said the two subjects who were standing there were dressed like construction workers. A subject who had one subject had a beard, had a green jacket with a hood, and Chicago Bears blue stocking cap on. That'll come into play later because they're going to find this cap at the crime scene. The other subject was wearing a nondescript jacket and blue jeans. Both subjects or wearing green lace type boots with yellow soles. You bought shoes alike and they dress somewhat alike. This is kind of when you got a, a pair of, of killers like this, they dress kind of alike. Uh, that way people kind of get things mixed up. Said they had nothing in their hands when they talked to the driver of this brown Cadillac, but then they walked back to their car and he noticed that the bearded subject it was probably, I believe, Joy Lombardo had a beer at the time, was holding a brown paper bag folded over, folded over. And I think the supposition is they picked up this gun from the driver of the brown Cadillac. Stated that the brown Cadillac was a two-door vehicle with wire wheel, wheels and a large CB antenna on the back trunk. The driver was described as a white male, 45, 50 years old, dark hair with round faced and large cheeks. The green car was further described as a police type car with twin mast antennas on the rear and a right rear bumper that was bent out as if it had been hooked on something. Now, that's another thing these guys like to do. They like to drive a police type car, a really good criminal when he's off to do something, will try to get a police type car. I've seen it a couple of times. We had a couple of different professional criminals that were burglars and, and one was, uh, he was going out robbing Colombian drug dealers in Kansas City. He was, he was a bold dude. And they both had, one of them was a few years before and before they went to Crown Vicks and he had a Plymouth 
just like a detective car with a CB antenna on it. And then the next guy, Eddie Cox, that came along, he had a red crown Vic with an antenna on it. And, and I believe it even had a spotlight on it. it looked like a detective's car. Uh, he was passing himself off as a DE agent, but, uh, and, and the other guy was a burglar. Like he, for example, he, and he had a police scanner in that car. So he was getting ready to do a burglary in another fellow of a jewelry store in downtown Kansas city. And we found out later there was a homeless guy sleep in the alley right behind the uh, jewelry store. And they were going to go in through that alley. So they rousted him up and said they were the police, threw him in the car and drove him to a suburb about 10 miles east and dropped him off and then came back. And as far as that homeless dude knew, it came out later and I think they actually even found the guy because uh, he, of course, they always gravitate back down to where they, uh, they usually hang out at. And he had gravitated back down and, and had told people about this and then detectives found him later on and, and uh, they put that together. That's who that was. So anyhow, uh, said that Cadillac had a vanity plate on it, four letters and the number 10. Uh, he couldn't really remember that word, but he, he thought it was possibly Port, P-O-R-T, or Zano, Z-A-N-O, 10. And he felt there was a Z in the word for sure. The, uh, they, of course, went to the Department of Revenue or whatever you have up there in Illinois and started checking all the vanity plates to see if you could find anything like that. Said that conversation had only lasted about three minutes between the two guys in the green Dodge and, and the brown Cadillac. And, and he felt that since when he started noticing them, that these guys started looking at him and noticing him which is pretty typical. I mean, these guys, are, their antenna are on high alert, looking for any kind of, of uh, surveillance. And, you, and so you got a salesman and a salesman's kind of car sitting reasonably close that starts noticing you. And, and, he, and they probably were noticeable when they were doing something like that, two working kind of guys in a green car going over and talking to a guy in a, in a Cadillac. Uh, so... I did, I did a composite of the guy in the Cadillac. Now, I didn't, wasn't able to get that. Now, another interesting little thing about this particular guy, he, uh, he didn't come forward at first and eventually came forward because he got a, get it, got a guilty conscience. And he said, he told him, he said, I was afraid to come forward before because I was really out looking for a job while I was on company time. Now, once they got that car description, they put out a, a bulletin. This Lincolnwood Police Department put out a bulletin with a, for a 1976 Dodge Monaco, which they, after talking with several people at the scene, decided this is what it was. Uh, they called it a clean, dark green 1976 Dodge Monaco four-door with a tan interior. Said it might be equipped with a K- 40 black CB antennas, smoked windows, and raised lettering on the tire rims at Illinois plates of GOM 74 at the time. I think they learned later this is a stolen car. They went back out to the home of this guy that, that saw the car so closely and remembered the license number, and, and they took an auto identification book and asked him to go through the book. They had a book with just all kinds of different cars in it. And 
that's he picked out a 1976 Dodge Monaco four-door sedan, dark green in color. And, and he talked about a buggy whip antenna on the back of it. And he was sure it was a Monaco because he owns a 74 Dodge Coronet himself and gave him some address and need to recontact him. They went around to look up this license plate number and it had been reported stolen on August the 7th. That was way back in, in 1982. So they just hung on to that license plate number. It was off of a blue 80 Chevrolet Citation hatchback that had been parked in front of his house. And he had reported it at the time. So, you know, uh, and there are two plates out there. So they had two plates. And then they interview Irv Wiener. He's age 66 at the time, took him into the Lincolnwood Police Department. So they first asked him, you know, your normal kind of questions about his day. You know, what was your day like? And, and he said he had known Dorfman since they were both kids. They grew up together. He said throughout their lifetime, they'd been personal friends as well as business associates on, associates on, a, on an occasion. Yeah, they were business associates, all right. Uh, said about 10 years ago, they were actually indicted together on a land deal down in the Southwest part of the United States. And that was again, another deal with uh, uh, down in Phoenix area, I believe. I know it was in Arizona. I can't remember the exact deal, but there was, there was with Teamsters money for sure. Said that day he'd gone to Dorfman's home between 10, 30 and 11 AM. And we're gonna take his car, but Dorfman suggested he wanted to drive his own because he had a telephone in it. So Wiener left his car at Dorfman's house and both drove away in Dorfman's car. Their first stop was for gas at a mobile gas station at Deerfield Road and Sanders. From there, they drove to a My Video. If you remember, if you read anything about this, all of a sudden Dorfman kind of out of the blue said he needed to stop by a video store to pick up some videotapes. Back in the day, when you used to rent the, your VHS tapes, you'd go buy four or five at a time for the weekend. And, and if you got kids, you'd have like, you know, two or three kids shows and, and, and at least one adult show that you and the mom could, could watch. I've, I've been there before. There, uh, Dorfman parked behind Tarpe's Drugs at Peterson and Cicero and locked the doors when they got out and walked away from the car. They both went in, he, he picked up the tapes and went back to the car. So as they got back in the car, Dorfman made mention that he must've screwed up the door because he knew he locked the door when he left it, but it wasn't locked when they returned. Makes you wonder if somebody had not got into that car while they were gone. Dorfman drove to the First National Bank of Lincolnwood at 6401 Lincoln, Lincolnwood, Illinois. At the bank, Irv Wiener obtained a cashier's check for $7,500 and it was made payable to Alan Dorfman. He told the officer that this was money he owed Dorfman. I wonder whatever happened to that check. I think that probably, uh, they would have they had to have it. It would look really suspicious if that check wasn't there. And I, I don't know if they would have let him walk away with that or not, or they would have put it in the property room and held its cashier's check. So it's just like money. And then Dorfman, they would go into Dorfman's estate when they went to claim all of his property from the police department. 
interesting that uh, I would have thought, of course, he, he may not have had time to actually snag it before somebody else got there. And it would have looked kind of funny him going through Dorfman's pockets. After they got done going to the bank, he claims that both men decided together to find a place to eat. And they decided they were going to eat at the bagel, but then they decided against it because it wouldn't be a place to park. I can imagine how that conversation went. Cause you know, Wiener was the one that set him up. You had to be, he had to be, they weren't just following him around all morning. They were around him. I know that. I think they find out later that they were watching him earlier, but I don't think they were following him everywhere they went. Wiener probably, Wiener probably said, you know, and we'll be a place to park there. Let's, let's try this other place, which was the Hyatt house. And they also went there, said, because they could get a drink there. The bagel shop, you couldn't get a drink. He claimed that after parking the car, both of them were walking through the lot toward the restaurant. They had to walk single file because there's so many cars parked up close to each other. They had to cut in, but they were cutting in between the cars and Wiener was walking in the lead. And wasn't that interesting? So then somebody could come up behind Dorfman and kind of isolate him. They wouldn't even be side by side. Wiener said he heard somebody say, stick him up somewhere from behind him. Then all he heard was a pop, pop, pop. Said he ducked down and turned around and he saw blood coming out of Dorfman's head and he was lying on the ground. And there was someone with a black or a blue jacket standing nearby who ran off immediately. Said he was scheduled to fly to San Francisco with Dorfman later in the week. And there was even airfare already bought if they wanted to check on that. He said the reason that for the trip was that Dorfman being indicted and Wiener was going to handle his bond. Said he usually sees Dorfman, Alan Dorfman, four or five times a week on personal basis, as well as business. He had absolutely no idea who might have shot Dorfman or who had, would have had a reason to shot Dorfman. He said, here's a good one. Uh, he never hurt anyone. He said, you know, they've been wiretapped him a lot lately. There's a lot of tape out there and it's all on tape. Wiener said he knew Dorfman because he had grown up with Dorfman's sons and spent a lot of time at their summer home in Wisconsin with them. He said his stepfather and Dorfman had been friends at a long, for a long time. He said he couldn't think of anybody that would want to shoot Alan Dorfman and knew him no threats against Alan Dorfman. They talked to some witnesses over there. There's a restaurant right there, as you can see in the pictures, uh, Tessie's restaurant. They were eating lunch and, and they said they were pulling in the hotel parking lot just as the Suspects were fleeing. The officers took these women into an office inside the hotel and interviewed each one of them individually so they wouldn't contaminate each other's stories. What's interesting is they both worked for Amalgamated Labor Insurance, 7380 Lincoln, Lincolnwood, Illinois, which is Dorfman's insurance company. Interviewed one or uh, last name was Nelson. The only thing I can tell you is she's 56 years old said she was in the back seat of the right rear of a car with her female friends looking for a place to park the car. They were driving Southeast in the parking lot and they were parallel to Lincoln street. He saw a tall young man under 30 running through the parking lot. He was wearing jean type pants and a Navy blue ski mask. She observed a 
blue steel handgun in his waistband and he was pulling his jacket over it. She was not, she wasn't sure if there was another person with him, but described an auto coming out of nowhere and said, then said they got into it. It was like there was a getaway driver as well as two men. It's funny about these witnesses, you know, they, they're rattled and, and their, your, your memory is a funny thing. And, but your choice of language, you may not have noticed another person consciously, but then when she says they got into a moving car, then it would, it would lead me to believe she saw two guys and another car pulled up and they jumped in it. Interviewed the other person uh, who was much younger, who's 20 years old, said they were sitting in the front seat, passenger seat of this auto, and they described the man in the parking lot as being six foot one, medium build, wearing a blue or black jacket that she thought was a navy peacoat style. He was also wearing, he was wearing a blue mask. She remembered that the car the man got into was a dark green car that looked like it might have been a government car, it looked like a police car. She thought the car had an antenna on the left rear trunk. They interviewed another person in that car that was pulling in uh, the left rear seat. And she said her attention was drawn to a man running parallel to the wall of Tessie's restaurant in a northerly direction. And she turned her attention to the car that was in front of them. She said that car was a dark auto and looked like a Chevy to her. And there were double antennas on the trunk. And she thought the license was GOM. So this must have been the car. She also thought it was a government car but she didn't see anybody running to her getting into the car, but she said she slid down the seat when she heard the other woman say something about a man having a gun. Interview the fourth woman in the car and she couldn't really tell him anything other than she saw two men. One had a blue jacket and a ski mask. The other man had on a hat, but she didn't recall what kind it was. She remembered an aerial on the auto that drove off and she said it looked like an unmarked police car. So that was the initial investigation the day that Alan Dorfman was killed. As you can see, you, you've got some decent witnesses, but nobody, one guy could probably pick out some faces, the guy that saw him a block or so away. Now there's some other reports out there that will put these two men in this blue car at some other place, one of the, maybe outside the video store. So they were, it had been a setup all morning is, is pretty easy to tell. And, you know, Cam and I in our other program discuss a lot about the reasons that they wanted to kill Alan, Alan Dorfman. He, you know, he was looking at a lot of time and, and he knew, he knew where the talk about knowing where the bodies were buried. He knows where the bodies are buried. So I hope you've been, uh, and so I hope you have uh, uh, enjoyed this little short, extra show here and, and all the pictures from the crime scene, you know, is what you're seeing is you, uh, if you got this on YouTube, I was able to get all the uh, crime scene photos from the uh, case file. So those are the images that you've been seeing. Thanks a lot, folks. And don't forget to watch out for motorcycles. Uh, if you think you got any problems with PTSD, uh, if you're a vet, go to the uh, Veterans Administration website. They have a hotline. Uh, support the podcast. Uh, I've always got ways you can do that. 
I just want you to know I, I appreciate all your comments. Uh, you might give me a review once in a while if you're if you're on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. And and share this with your friends. So uh, get more listeners, more listeners. I got better. I like it for whatever reason. Thanks a lot, folks.